Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by viewers, nope, listeners like <laughs> you. If any of you are watching us right now, stop it. Hacking <laughs> is awesome, but you shouldn't do it to me because I don't like it. Um, <laughs> I'm Simone de Rochefort, supervising video producer at Polygon, and I'm here with Brianna Wu, executive director of Rebellion Pack, and Christina Warren, senior developer advocate at GitHub. How are we doing tonight? Uh, I am really busy. Uh, you know, uh, 2024 is scaling up really quickly. Uh, I'm lucky that a lot of funding came through on my projects, Yay. but I'm also uh, flying everywhere and in meetings all day and hiring a bunch of people. And uh, it's really scary to look around and see you're the most experienced person in a room by a large margin and they're counting on you. Uh, ah. that, is, that is scary. So, uh Yes. That's the price of doing. bringing all your knowledge and expertise to the table. I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> I aim to never do it. <laughs> we have an exciting show for you tonight. We're going to be talking about finally, finally, the Epic v. Google case. This is something yeah. that I think has been every single week for the past four weeks. I've been like, hey, it might finally be time to talk about Epic v. Google. And then there's a million other things that are important. And finally, we have a verdict. So now it is actually the time to talk about it. We will also be updating Beeper Mini, the latest story to be rocket ruled on our show. <laughs> um, for dessert today, we'll be eulogizing E3 for possibly the fifth time. I'm not sure. But Somebody for real pulls time. seats, but for real, for the fifth and last time. And then our subscribers who get an ad-free show and a bonus segment every week will get that bonus segment about the YA author, sorry, not YA author, the fantasy author, Kate Corain, who blew up their entire career this week. <sighs> Amazing. Uh, we've got some classic Twitter author, writer, drama to talk to you about for that bonus segment. If you would like to learn about how you can get bonus segments like that and an ad-free show every week, you can go to relay.fm slash membership. Um, and if you do so, you can support this show or other relay shows, which is actually an excellent segue into my next announcement, which is that after almost nine years, I think, 468 episodes, we are actually going to be winding down the show on December 28th of this year. We have three more episodes left of Rocket for you. Don't freak out. I'm going to say some sentimental things, and then I'm going to say some logistical things, because if you're a boosty, you might be going, oh my God, <laughs> don't do that. It's going to be okay. The first sentimental thing that I want to say is a massive thank you to all of you who are listening to the show right now. Even if you're not listening to the show right now, if you're a past listener, I hope you're hearing beams from my voice and going, I feel happy. I, no, I feel, I, yeah, I feel, I feel like I've been thanked today because I'm thanking you. Um, there are people who are listening to this show who have been listening since the very first episode, which is absolutely bonkers. And there are probably also maybe some people for whom this is the first episode to which I would like to say, sorry, I also hope you enjoy it. Um, our first episode, over 400 episodes ago, that's absolutely nuts the, the show is for all of you whether you are a listener today or have been the listener since the very beginning charles we love you charles um, and i hope that it has informed you or uh made you laugh or made you maybe uh, angry or made you think about things over the last years uh i know for us it's been 
I guess speaking for myself, it's been a massive highlight of my career. It kind of maps exactly onto my entire career in gaming um, and in the tech space. And I won't go on and on about that. But thank you for listening to us and laughing with us and watching us get things wrong and sometimes get things right, get a lot of predictions right, get a lot of bets wrong, lose (laughs) money, gain money, um, and most importantly, to be rocket ruled on a near weekly basis continuing a tradition that continues with this week um when we started this show in january of 2015 many many years ago i don't think any of us had an idea that it would last as long as it has or be as impactful in our lives as it has um or that we would get to talk about any of the bonkers things that we've talked about i know like us talking about scams and internet drama is something that grew naturally out of the chemistry that the three of us have and the the conversations and the things that we care about over the last nine years. So we are completely, completely blessed and lucky to have been able to do those things with you. Um, now a special message for our Rocket Boosters, who seriously, seriously, your support over the last year has been so wonderful. Being able to do the booster segments and just talk to you about whatever, you know, bubbles up is like, ah, I need to yell at people about this has been so meaningful. Um, And your financial support, of course, has meant a lot to us, too. It's been so fun, as well as just like a a nice way to connect with people. Um, Now, logistical things. I hope that you've had fun with those booster segments as well. If you have auto renewed for 2024, no worries. Uh, Relay has it covered. They're going to send out an email where you will have the option to either switch to another Relay show to support. There are a million of them and they are all so good. Or you can simply get a refund and that would also be fine. They are making this so easy for us and we really appreciate We're that. We're so thankful, um, yeah. If you want to revisit archived episodes, the main archive fee is going to stay available, I have been told. Until the end of time or we all die. That is a direct quote from Stephen. And as long as you have an active Relay membership account, you'll be able to listen to back booster episodes as well. So that is a beautiful thing. Um, If you want to pull up receipts on any of us, you can do that still. And if you have any questions or concerns about any of the things that I just said about membership, uh, you can contact us on social or at rocket at christina.is. Um, I almost pronounced that I is, which is not right. Rocket at Christina dot is or dot is or reach out to the Relay crew. You know where to find them. But membership at Relay dot FM. I'm sure if you're listening to our show, you're listening to other Relay, sh- relay shows as well. Um, and because the network is freaking awesome. They have been they they have been our backbone for so long. Like, I don't think the show would exist without Relay. Um, and they're really cool. So please, if you're a person who is for some reason supporting us and doesn't know anything about other Relay shows, go look at the menu of other things that you can do because they got other tech news shows that are fun. They're not as weird as us, but they're fun <laughs> and educational, most importantly. Okay, we will continue airing the show as usual for the rest of December. Uh, we have some, we're going to have our fun, like usual, we're going to do our end of year review and I cannot wait to come up with topics for that. Um, so as a last note, We'll keep it weird, and I hope that you will, too. And I believe, uh, I, I just want to say for myself, the drinks rule will apply for the rest of my life if oh, you yeah. find me at a bar. So, that, that goes to me as well. So so the, the rocket drinks rule, it, it's, yeah, that's never ending. So if you, if you even say, hey, didn't you used to have a podcast? Honestly, you don't even have to say which one. Um, I'm going to believe that it's rocket, and I'm going to buy you a drink. So, yeah. Hell yeah. 
thank you all for for the nine years and and thank you honestly that I'm not going to get into this too much right now because we have three more episodes to do but but to both you know uh, Simone and and Brie I am so thankful to both of you for the nine years of friendship and and this show and everything that's come out of it and mm-hmm. I'm really proud of of what we've done and I'm really grateful uh, to all of you out there listening who have given us the chance to to do this weird you know, nerdy, uh, just different show every week. And so uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. We are about to transition into our main topic, but I have just been reported to that Christina has breaking news for me. What is that? Okay. So the, the Eras Tour uh, streaming, like the Eras Tour movie is now available on streaming for 1989, which is a little bit obscene since like it's a rental, wow. whatever. Come um, on. I, and I, and I, that's what it costs to see it in the theater whatever. I love it. Um, but the copy that I completely legally downloaded, like completely <laughs> legally, I, I just had to read this file name because I think that it's incredible. It is, <laughs> this is so good. This is, um, uh, Taylor Swift dot the eras tour dot extended dot 2023 dot 2160 P dot web dot H two six five dot players going to play, 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 play. And the haters going to hate, 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 dot mkv wow yeah the swifties are committed to the bit they are and like and 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 the swifties are are you know go go into the the people who um are able to to cap these things and upload them to tours i didn't think that we had this these swifties um in, in the usenet community but anyway um or excuse me not the usenet community the completely legal way that i obtained this community so yeah yes so true i i I, I won't go into it because we have a packed show tonight, but I have thoughts about that. First, we need to talk about Epic v. Google. Finally, at last, after weeks of not talking about it, we're talking about it. The jury has delivered a verdict in the case of Epic v. Google, part of Epic Games' series of lawsuits over whether Apple and Google respectively are running app store monopolies. In the case of Apple, Apple basically won that case that came out on top in a meaningful way. But when it came to Google, the jury said, that's a monopoly. Uh, They found in favor of Epic. Uh, Per Sean Hollisher at The Verge, I will quote now, the jury unanimously answered yes to every question put before them, that Google has monopoly power in the Android app distribution markets and in app and in-app billing services markets, that Google did anti-competitive things in those markets, and that Epic was injured by that behavior. They decided Google has an illegal tie between its Google Play App Store and its Google Play billing payment services, too, and that its distribution agreement, Project Hug, deals with game developers and deals with OEMs were all anti-competitive, end quote. That was not my best reading, but we are just going to power through it. There will, of course, be unappeal. And the judge, James Donato, has not decided what the remedies in this case will be. Uh, the two cases are different in that I believe the, the Apple case uh, was not a jury ruling. Uh, judge not. Yvonne Gonzalez decided in that case. This was a jury who, apparently, according to uh, the interview that I read with Tim Sweeney and uh, coverage from The Verge as well, like they noted that reporters had noticed the jury was quite <sighs> attentive in this case. They seemed to be really listening to and taking in what was a very dense case full of documents. Um, yeah. And so that that is the ruling that has come down today. We don't know what's going to happen yet. Um, I guess Sweeney and Sundar Pichai have talked and not come to any kind of settlement together. Uh, but we finally have a kind of surprise ruling, although maybe not surprising when you look at some of the uh, deals that Google made with developers. 
Yeah, I'm still surprised, I have to be honest, just because, I mean, look, there were a lot of differences, as you mentioned, between the Apple case and the Google case. Um, one, the, the side deals. Uh, two, I think the way that it was presented. Um, and and obviously, uh, Google was really, really not wanting to be cooperative during discovery, which I don't think played well for them because the judge was very angry in a lot of situations um, with them. Um, and and then, of course, um, the fact that it was a, a jury trial rather than a bench trial. Having said that, like it is it's kind of on, on its face. If you if you don't look at all the various individual merit things, it seems sort of nuts that the company that actually allows third party app stores to exist is is deemed, you know, violating, um, you know, antitrust rules. And like the literally most walled garden, like closed off company on the planet, one and then one on appeal, right? Like like Apple mm-hmm. Apple won massively. It, it was it, it was it wasn't even a blowout to the point that a lot of us, myself included, were like, why are you even bothering doing the Google trial at all? And mm-hmm. and that's I think the the interesting thing that'll come out of this because look, uh, the Google v Oracle, uh, Oracle v Google, whichever order you want to go in, uh, the Supreme Court case was was Google v Oracle. That lasted eleven years to go oh from the the first time it was it was ruled on to when the Supreme Court finally adjudicated the whole issue. I don't think this is going to go that long, but that just, I think, is, is an example of like, these things can re- literally go on forever. So um, I, I want to hear your thoughts, Brie, but like my, my first response when I saw this was just like, I was just shocked. I, even though I think Google did a lousy job of arguing their case, I just, I was not expecting this outcome. I mean, don't you think this uh, this really speaks to how dependent these kinds of trials are on the the juries that you get? I mean, oh, yeah. You know, uh, Frank works in in patent law, and you know, over the years he's had certain patents, uh, you know, go to trial, and he's had to be on deck to kind of help adjudicate these things. And yeah, I remember one uh, trial that he was a part of, and yeah, I'm not a biomolecular person, but uh, I understood enough about it to understand the issues at hand. It was really clear to me that the jury uh, just had flat out gotten it wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And I think for some of these uh, really technical issues, like what is and is not a monopoly, you know, some of these things are, it's not that I am saying this is a bad judgment or I don't understand the logic of it, because I do. I think it really speaks to the uh, the roulette wheel that you're getting in kind of, uh, you know, with one jury versus another. I mean, can Mm -hmm. they really... Like, yeah, we followed this stuff every single week, and I have no doubt if we were sitting on that trial, you know, we would have, like, had a lot to think about and get into. So, um, yeah, at first blush, it doesn't make sense to me why they had different outcomes, and I don't know. Well, I think that's what's so fascinating about this is, like, like obviously the Apple trial being a judge-only trial versus this being a jury trial, but then also the fact that – so one of the things I read about in the Tim Sweeney interview that – um the Verge published was that with Apple, there was basically there were there was no documentation that they could look at of Apple right. like discussing their practices that could be looked at as like, oh, let, let's go ahead and engage in some anti-competitive behavior. Whereas with Google, they had all apparently all these transcripts that they are not transcripts, but like chat logs that they could turn to where then they'd be talking about stuff and it would veer anti-competitive. And then somebody would go, hey, chat history is on. And then conversation would kind of cease um or just in some cases like actual just emails uh the verge has also published a list of or a list of the best emails from the trial like there was there's a huge paper trail here and it really came down to as christina said the evidently walled garden of apple that is 
I, I like it is anti-competitive. There's no way to do you know your own business on the app store without bending the knee to Apple, right? But they were able to say like, look, they they leaned on the security argument and the fact that they don't have actual conversations of them being like, hey, should we engage in some anti-competitive behavior right now? Let's right. go ahead and do it. Whereas with Google, they they have all of these deals. They have like. You know, Activision and Riot uh, talking about, hey, should we build our own stores for Android devices? And Google going, here's money. Right. Here's half, here, here's half a billion dollars. <laughs> like, literally, here's $500 million to not do that. Um, that we exactly. will pay you. Um, and, you know, and hey, Spotify, it is so important that you are in our app store, even though we have a competing product with YouTube Music. Uh, and, and, and before that, it was called Google Play Music and all that stuff. We literally will not charge you the 30% fee. And you can use your own, um, you know, in-app purchase payment system. So you don't even have to use our payment processors, uh, you know, within your app. Like, that's how important um, Spotify is to them. What is interesting here, and I don't know why maybe the discovery wasn't available. Maybe it didn't seem germane. Apple does have similar um, requirements like that with Amazon, um, Amazon Prime on, on Apple TV, Mm. Um, I, I don't know what the split is, but but it is definitely not thirty percent. And um, uh, Amazon will will let you 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 can buy items from Amazon Prime um, on Apple TV uh, within that app, and it does not go through Apple at all. So it's it's not as if Apple has been immune from not cutting side deals because of course they have, uh, and and they they'd allowed things before. Um, but also to your point, you know, like you know, Apple really lent on the on the security aspect of things. Um, that is the one thing that I, I think it's the part of this that troubles me. And again, I, I'm, I'm not too willing to, to read too much into what the, the net effects of this decision will be because it will be appealed and appealed and appealed. And there will be so many other things going on that I don't think that we'll see any material change for, for quite some time, if ever. But it does bother me a little bit that there is now like a, a federal juror, uh, you know, uh, a court ruling that is, that is basically saying that companies cannot act in a way that they claim is going to be in the security interest for their company and for their users uh, mm. in, in the name of a competition. Like I, I have a fundamental problem with that. Um, I, I'm, and I'm, I'm somebody who does think that you should be able to have a siloed ability in uh, iOS. Like I, I don't think really? that Apple should have to, I do. I don't think Apple should have to support it, but I think that the Mac has it. I think that what you should require is that, that applications be signed um, and, and that they, if they need to go through Apple's uh, you know, so, so, the developer would still need to pay for an Apple developer uh, subscription and they would still need to get it signed and have to go through the, the same things that basically Mac OS has to go through. I, I But I, I do think that if people want to take it upon themselves and take on the inherent risks or whatever, um, and, and I don't even think that those mm. applications, I, I'm okay with that. I mean, especially if, you know, no, you I'm, still- I'm thinking through it. It's a fresh argument. I mean, I, I think the app store is so different today than it was when we kind of had this discussion like five years ago. I, I think I've kind of come around. I think I, I may agree with you, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, but, and I, I'm good with, with that. Um, it, I think that should be a thing that Apple should do, but I don't know if I'm okay with like a federal court, like basically saying you have to open things up in a certain way, if that makes any sense. I don't know. I'm So I'm conflicted on that. Yeah. Well, not the least of which, that's not a good way to get good public policy on this, the courts adjudicating yeah. it, right? Right, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. So one of the questions that I had was, 
if either of you have an opinion on what's going to happen with appeals, because obviously there is going to be an appeal. Christina, you mentioned like the Oracle case dragging on for 11 years. Um, This was like a very quick verdict um, and Mm -hmm. a very unanimous verdict, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that could hold. But how likely do you think it is? I don't know. I mean, I think that I actually think of anything, I think the speed of the of the verdict might work against them um, because this was a complicated case. And and if you could make an argument, I mean, I don't I don't know. I mean, usually you can't go against a jury verdict, even if they're completely right. This is a civil case. So the the um, the bar uh, to, to find you know guilt is is much, much lower than it would be in, in a criminal proceeding. And I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know how this would turn out. I was talking with some some lawyers and, and lawyer adjacent people. I I think it's going to depend on on like who their attorneys are and maybe what sorts of side deals they can come up with if, if anything because again to your point like we don't even know like what the judgment will be because it wasn't as if um yeah, you know true. Epic was ask, asking for for tons of money and so which that would be the the biggest thing they could do like and and I'm not sure if the courts could even like necessarily force them to to change things like they could you know break you know, the, the course could could potentially, you know, break companies up and things like that. But I, I don't know what would be required for them to go like, okay, you have to do these things that might be technically infeasible um, uh, for uh, your your app store. I mean, it, which reminds me a little bit about, and, and of course, I'll add the disclaimer here that I, I used to work at Microsoft and I now work at a company um, owned by Microsoft. Um, when, uh, as part of the Department of Justice uh, claim against Microsoft in, in the late 90s, which did wind up basically being completely overturned on appeal, um, one of the things they wanted to do was that make it so that you would be able to separate Internet Explorer from Windows. And Microsoft mm, argued yeah. that it was technically impossible for them to do that. Now, they later on, with, with various versions of Windows, were able to make some adjustments um, for some versions that were sold in the EU. But it was one of those things where, like, you, you can't decouple the two. And so... I, I do wonder, like that. That's a thing that I have like questions about. Like, whatever the the outcome of the appeal is, like whatever the um, I guess um, decision is, and and how um, this will be decided. Um, it'll be interesting to see how technically feasible that stuff is. But I have to mm-hmm. say, considering how decisively they lost on everything, I, I think this is going to be not a necessarily easy case for them to win on appeal um, at, at all. Um, but it's. Um, it's it. I, I mean, I I don't know. I I think that this is just going to be an interesting thing to continue to watch. Can Can you track my memory on this? And maybe it's just uh, I'm not thinking through this. So the original uh, decision is decided by a jury, right? So yes. then it's going to go to a federal. It's not a state court. It's a, a federal court, right? So it's going to go yeah, to the federal yes. court. So that's going to be yes. that's going to be a judge that's deciding and not yes. a jury. It, right? It'll be a panel of judges. Yeah, it'll it'll be like usually it's like three of them. Yeah. So that actually seems like a good bet for Google. In my well, opinion. well, it could be. It could be. Yeah. And again, I could be wrong on the specifics of this, but I, I it depends on what they can argue on appeal because I know in criminal cases, and I'm not sure of, of the uh, differences in civil, but I know in criminal cases you have to make arguments like you can't retry your case. You have to basically make arguments that there was some sort of error either in the judgment or something else that happened. And so, you know, they might have to they, they might make an argument that this piece of evidence wasn't let in or um, it, this this other thing um, it, it doesn't pass on the merits. And so I, I don't know how true that is for for civil court. I don't know how much they can re-argue if that makes any sense. Like, I think they are yeah. to a certain extent, I think they're stuck with the arguments they originally made in court. And then they have to try to find technicalities and some other things where, uh, a, you know, a panel of judges might look at it and go, oh, actually, this is this is not it. 
Now, in the, the Oracle versus Google case, that was actually an interesting thing. The first trial, a jury did decide in Oracle's favor, and then it went with the appeals court, and then it went to appeals again. And the, the appeals court basically said, we're going to basically send this back to a jury trial, and you basically have to start all over. And then that mm. finding was found, um, Google was found not guilty, and then that was appealed again, and then that was appealed to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court stayed the the, the lower court decisions, which had upheld, the uh, in, in that case, the um, the decision that the, the Google wasn't infringing. So I, I, it's possible, uh, and again, I, I, I don't know all the specifics of this, but at least in the Oracle case, it was possible where the, the appeals court basically was like, okay, we can't kind of figure this out. You're going to have to go try this again. <laughs> That's very funny, I think, as, a, as an outcome or as a partial outcome. Yeah. All that work. All that work. But I mean, yeah. like, good for Tim Sweeney, I guess. Like, it's just, this is one of those things where I... I, I I mean, I just I didn't expect this. Um, okay, nope. so seriously, so reading that interview with him, regard I, I I am the last person on this earth who wants to suck off a corporation <laughs> for <laughs> their decisions. Wow! Wow! <laughs> now we're Epic. getting spicy. Now we're getting spicy. Epic is winning the PR battle in a major oh, yeah. way because obviously, I think we can all agree they have motives here that benefit. Uh, themselves like it, it's a corporation it will always work to benefit itself that being said the way that they have been consistently able to stick to this line of we are doing this for smaller developers we are doing this because a spotify can be offered a deal and maybe we'd be offered a deal that isn't that good but would still be a deal but you the little guy won't be offered that deal and we're doing it for you and like he said, like we got in a room with with I got in a room with Sundar Pichai. We were talking about settlements and they were not able to tell us anything that would do what we want to do, which is to open up this market to people who want to have their own stores. And again, I don't believe in altruism in this case. I don't oh, think yeah. he's doing this altruistically. Absolutely However, not. the way that they have been able to stick to this line in all of their like corporate statements is very impressive to me. Yeah, it, it really is. I will note, though, it is sort of interesting that, like, it, I mean, this really does seem to come down to, like, the amount of of, of the cut. Because, like, the Epic Game Store charges a 12% fee, and and they charge for for Unreal Engine. So, it's you know what I mean? Like, it's not as if, yeah. like, they with their own thing. Like, there's there's a certain amount of, of, of hypocrisy. Like, it's not certain. It's not blatant. Um, They, they offer, they, they charge lower fees than other stores. But it is still funny to me that, like, I would be shocked. I mean, and again, this isn't pertinent to this to this case because they're not the ones on trial. But you know that Epic has to have special deals with people in their store and, and in their partnerships. Yeah. And you know that they have to have special considerations and special partnerships with people for Unreal licenses. Like, you know, I wonder they if those do. people are looking at this case and going, huh. <laughs> right, right, right. So so that, that that's that's the funny thing to me is that it's like I can understand being outraged by the fact that, you know, they have these these special deals and whatnot. But at the same time. I don't know. Like, what do we expect, guys? Like, business is going to business. Like, yep. you know? All right. Any final thoughts on Apple v. Epic? Or, sorry. Whoa. Whoa. Google v. Epic before we move on. I'm good. All right. Let's talk about Beeper Mini. So in truly true rocket fashion, almost as soon as we talked about Beeper Mini last week, the app from Beeper that is going to let you send encrypted iMessages from your Android device without, you know, using an Apple ID with your Android device number to people using Apple devices, encrypted blue, beautiful iMessages. Apple seemingly blocked the app from sending those coveted blue messages from Androids to 
iPhones. Uh, last week, we had discussed on the show whether Apple would take action against Beeper or not. And we even surmised us fools, me and Christina, that having a healthy iMessage option for Android could make Apple look good in EU courts next yeah. year. Oh, well. Oh, well, we were Apple wrong. Apple wants it dead. They want we it dead. Wrong. We were wrong. Apple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoopsie. Why would we think that? Fools. Fools, both of us. Apple sites, of course. Let me hear it, folks. Security concerns, which is cool to hear. After last week on the show, we also discussed how it has let multiple governments spy on our push notifications mine specifically because the fbi is very interested in me senior <laughs> pr manager nadine nadine haifa told the press in a statement quote unquote we took steps to protect our users by blocking techniques that exploit fake credentials in order to gain access to iMessages. She cited potential metadata exposure, spam, as well as phishing attacks as potential dangers, which is fair. Uh, Eric Migakovsky of Beeper rebuts, if Apple truly cares about the privacy and security of their own iPhone users, why would they stop a service that enables their users to now send encrypted messages to Android users rather than using unsecure SMS? As of recording, I'm going to try to summarize where we are now in a way that will certainly be proved wrong by the time <laughs> this show goes to air tomorrow. Beeper Mini is technically back online, but users are now required to log in with Apple ID, which is the cool thing that was not necessary before, uh, rather than having their phone numbers registered with iMessage, which is frustrating. Uh, it has also importantly gone free to use rather mm -hmm. than being $1.99 a month with the expectation that literally anything could change at any time, which is also the sentiment that I'm bringing to this summary. So inarguably insecure SMS versus potential intrusion into Apple's encrypted iMessages. Fight it out in the ring. What's going on here? I think, Christina, first of all, we need yeah, to apologize for we do. our foolishness. Our foolishness. I mean, look, I expected that Apple would try to maybe like act on this. I didn't know what they could do technically. And it turns out, and I don't know exactly how the, how, how um, Beaver um, Mini was implementing uh, the, the, the PyPush um, library that the, the teen, um, our favorite teen, JJ Tech, um, was able was able to his proof of concept that he wrote, but I know in in his proof of concept that was up on GitHub, and and he's already got an, an updated version um, available right now uh, for people who are uh, if you want to use it again, like you can't use it, with, you can't register your phone number with it. Um, you you need to use you know an Apple ID, either a new one or a burner one or whatever. But it, but it works, it, it's working again in that proof of concept. And again, I'm sure this wasn't exactly what, what um, Beeper Mini was doing. There were some um, like serial numbers and some other things that were uh, uh, kind of in, in the manifest so that it could use that to basically um, do the, the transfer um, of keys. Um, Apple changed a little bit about how that worked. And so he made some changes over the weekend and now that's working again. So now there are some other things in that library. Uh, it took him about three weeks, I think, the first time to reverse engineer their uh, uh, registration server for the um, telephone number thing. I don't know how, if it'll take him any longer uh, to do that another time. Um, and I don't know if, you know, Beeper will be looking into ways of maybe obfuscating how Apple can tell what's being registered or not. Because the thing is about what's impressive to me about how this was reverse engineered is that it's not immediately evident that the device that is going to be being registered is not mm -hmm. real or not, right? Like, like it's it's uh, yeah. using it's it's using things that are affiliated with real things. I, I have a feeling they made an error of either not rate limiting how often they were doing registrations 
and maybe not creating or generating or using unique serial numbers for each registration they were doing. And so it was easier to, to break. I'm not really sure. But but if, if they if, uh, you know, assuming they can get the the key, uh, the, the number registration thing working again, this is going to be a cat and mouse game. But yeah, anyway, That's we're sorry. The thing. And it's yeah. I feel like as a cat and mouse game, uh, Apple, just by virtue of being OK, I know the story of David and Goliath literally ends with David winning. I don't know that that works in oh, our no. in this economy. <laughs> no, no. Uh, sorry, Brianna. Do you have any initial thoughts on this? No, before it, we... it's exactly the same as yours. Yeah, I. So what? My first thought is just in general to talk about. I mean, the the teenager who managed to figure this out. I hope that kid gets hired somewhere. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, hire him at Apple. Like, oh, it, I mean, yeah, he's incredible. He's absolutely incredible. I mean, maybe don't hire him at Apple. We we want his work, but yeah, I, I've been yeah, we the, want him out of Apple. <laughs> I, I've been um I've been in the 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 Pi Push Discord, and it was really interesting, kind of just watching you know kind of the commentary and seeing how what was going on. What I do think is notable here is that so he'd had this library. He put it up, I think, in September. No one noticed, uh, other than than Eric um, and uh, and his partner at Beeper, who then saw it and then bought it. And um, you know, I, I don't know if he works for them full time. I'm sure he's on some sort of contract with them. Um, and so they they obviously like took advantage of that, but no one else noticed. And then all of a sudden, there's this flurry of activity, and in this Discord. You have it reminds me a lot of like the early jailbreak days. Um, Brie, I don't know if you remember those days or not on the iPhone, but sure like there was, do. yeah, that was which, the wild west. That was yes, a good it was. Time. <laughs> it was very good times, and it reminded me of that. And 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 I, I have to say, like, this is where I think even if Apple quote unquote wins, in some ways they need to be a little bit careful because now a whole bunch of people who were previously not looking at how to reverse engineer their key server and, and their number registration systems and other stuff are now looking into it. And you know, if you have enough like young people who have enough dedicated time to do to stuff, like they can get things accomplished. The, the jailbreak ecosystem is proof of that. And I think the only reason that really stopped was at a certain point, security got uh, harder and harder to to do. But even now, the jailbreak community still exists. It's just mostly become kind of a for profit endeavor, and so it's it's more complex. Mm, not but as like, fun. not as fun exactly. But this reminded me a lot of those jailbreak days, and I was like, okay, you know, they might have kind of like. Uh, unopened like like if maybe if they'd like been a little bit less uh mad about it um if you wouldn't have basically dared a whole bunch of you know uh, young young people who have a ton of time on their hand to be like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna reverse engineer this yeah ah uh, man so i guess returning to the the question of the cat and mouse game so i made the david and goliath illusion uh christina brianna you both agree that like this is this is going to be a fun game, I think, as you said, Christina, for people who are now looking at reverse engineering Apple things in a new way. That being said, Beeper Mini as a as a seamless replacement for yeah, iMessage, not I don't think is going to survive this. Of course, like Beeper itself, like they, they have a product that exists and is like lets you send messages to all kinds of apps within like their app and seamlessly you know, integrates that. So that's going to continue. Um, and people, you know, enjoy that. But the iMessage is like the, uh, the, the forbidden beacon that right. I, I think will probably remain out of reach for them as long as Apple chooses to resist, which it seems for the foreseeable future, they will. Yeah. Um, last week we had expressed massive uh, doubt over the fact that iMessage would be one of the things that the EU would specifically look at. Although, again, we both did agree, hey, maybe Apple would be would use it as a like a, 
a little bargaining chip again idiots it's idiots. fine um <laughs> but so yeah I, again i i doubt that i seriously still doubt that it is going to become a monopoly issue um or or whatever whatever it is that the eu is pursuing in the case of like the lightning cable to USB-C thing. Like, I don't think that it would hold up that that's exclusionary. Yeah, because nobody uses iMessage in Europe. Um, everyone uses WhatsApp. And so uh, yeah. because because WhatsApp existed beforehand and, and international SMS was a thing. And so it really took off. So, yeah. Um, and I can certainly vouch for that. Yeah. I mean, every, I was going to say everybody I know in Europe and and frankly, most of the world, frankly, for that matter, like it's it's like iMessage is massive, but it's a very American thing, you know? Uh, as yeah. much as we might love it. So I don't know. This is this is wild, though. I mean, it was so funny because like it, it it was up and then it went down and then they were like, maybe it could come back and then it came back. But without the phone number thing and like, you know, the 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 war, war, the, the war of the words. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a cat mouse game. But I, I agree with you. I don't think the beeper mini is going to be the seamless solution that it offered for two days uh, in in December. I, I don't think we'll return. But um it was fun. <laughs> yeah. It was a really good week for us. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts on Beeper Mini before we move on? I, I think it, this whole story, it's like, uh, you know, these products have gotten so much more complicated. And like, you know, is the Apple App Store at this point is just so sophisticated. Of course, situations like this are going to come up. Like, it's it, it's so stunning. Like, when you set up a, a new Mac nowadays, right? Like, it's just mm-hmm. you're going after system after system. And what look, used to take three steps is now 50 yes. steps. God, it's, it's the worst. It's just, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. it's... Of course this was going to happen. This was inevitable, and it will happen again. I'm honestly excited about that. I think that should be what we take away from this is, hey, resurgence of, like, backdoor culture. Mm, that, maybe <laughs> yes. that came out wrong. My second innuendo of the night. Um, the first one wasn't even an innuendo. It was explicit. Um, anyway... Yes, yeah, resurgence of people being this. like, let's I'm break that. This. Resurgence of back. Wow. it out. Zed it out. Okay, let's talk about E3. Finally. I mean, not finally. It is, it's a melancholy moment. After years is it? of, well, okay. Everyone has their own <laughs> feelings about E3. For some, it is a melancholy moment. For some, it is an inevitable moment. For others, it is a joyous moment. And his name is Jeff Keighley. Um, No, (laughs) I'm not making allusions to what Jeff Keighley may or may not be feeling about the death of the conference that he certainly had a large hand in um, putting an end to. Um, E3, the Electronic Entertainment Expo, is officially actually dead uh it has not been held since before the pandemic last year there were gestures towards hosting a new refurbished e3 alongside read pop who does uh the pax conferences which are great Mm -hmm. it was canceled three months before the event uh in the meantime over the last years even before the pandemic started we had seen the growth of online uh press conferences like nintendo directs where nintendo logs onto their youtube channel and their twitch and says hey we're gonna stream on our channel and tell you 
about everything we're doing. Uh, Sony copied that format. Xbox copied that format. Um, And during the pandemic, that certainly became the preferred way for these publishers to release news about their upcoming games, which was previously something that had mainly been done at E3 to journalists who would then write that up and deliver it out to the people um, in a magazine. At various online publications. Uh, yeah, in magazines <laughs> at first and then in online publications. Um, and, I mean, Summer Games Fest and the Game Awards, of course, have a role in this as well. Uh, the chosen sort of corporate mouthpieces for how news and trailers get distributed, that that power axis has shifted uh, towards these purely online, or not purely online because Summer Games Fest and and the Game Awards are also physical events, but towards events that are no longer exclusive to people within the industry, whether those be developers, publishers, press, um, uh, uh, people in advertising, public relations, etc., which E3 originally was uh, up until the last few years of its of its running when they did allow um a more public access uh through ticketing there but it I, is I, finally I the ESA yeah go I ahead have, i have a really fun story about how so before it was it was held as its own separate thing when it used to be like part of like a, a CES thing um i got into E3 um it when it was or maybe i guess it was a separate thing then but i but i got in um when it was in Atlanta um, this was in like 1998, I want to say, uh, I was not old enough to attend and I was not Woo-hoo. old enough to have a job, but I got a business <gasps> card from a place I did wind up working, uh, later on and, and made it, it claimed that I worked there at, at the electronics boutique, a video game store, like GameStop essentially. Um, and that's how I got into, um, uh, E398. Wow. Wait, yeah. do we all have stories of conning our way into E3? Cause I have one. Uh, I've never been to E3, so oh, no, oh, no, I could never do it. It's over. It's over. Okay, t- t- tell me about how you conned your way into E3. Mine was when we were working at Pixelkin. I- I've talked about this before on the podcast, so forgive me if you've already heard this. But when you we were working at Pixelkin, uh, we were working with someone who knew someone at E3 and was like, "I can we I can get you passes, even though you're a very small, family oriented gaming publication, like in your first or second year of." of existence like i can get you into e3 and what that turned out to mean was we could get badges as employees of konami (sighs) um which we were not (laughs) and everyone else was like i don't i'm not gonna do that and i was like you know what i'm gonna do that that. and that happened to be and this is the genesis of everything we had a video camera i was like okay i'm gonna go to e3 as a fraudulent konami employee i'm gonna take the video camera and i'll vlog it and those were literally the first videos some of the first videos that i made for pixelken which is how i transitioned from being a writer there to being a video producer there was like oh my god right, i'm gonna and i'm gonna go interview people and i'm gonna pray that they don't notice my badge just and like nobody cared yeah that was the thing like i remember talking to a friend of mine a, a colleague um from the university who had worked for a developer and had gone to E3 a few times. And he said, like, you know, they're going to be they're going to ask you questions about your video camera. They're going to be really touchy about mm-hmm. it. They're going to be like people are going to not want you to film things. And 
that information by the time I went turned out to be pretty outdated because nobody gave a crap about my filming things, my doing interviews on the floor, my like capturing just footage of, you know, things happening on the floor for color, a B-roll in the video. Um, And also nobody cared that my badge said Konami on it. So it was a great trip. I had a wonderful time. Uh, I later did go officially with Polygon as a legitimate employee of an organization with a legitimate press badge. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's one of those things where I don't feel particularly sad about it dying because it had certainly in, in the form that it took, which was a very industry focused conference outstayed, not outstayed, it's welcome, but it didn't serve as efficient a purpose as it once did. Well, it didn't evolve, right? Like to your point, Brie, Brie, like you, you know, video game developer, you never went to E3. So, which is interesting. But I was never working at a game studio like large enough for E3 to matter, right? I mean, I certainly went to PAX East, right? Right. But I I think that's sort of my point, right? Like is, is that it is it it was very clearly a thing that i think didn't evolve with the times which were to target like gaming is more than just the big studios and and i mean this is a mm-hmm. thing that i think one of the reasons why ces which um and, and i want to correct myself e3 didn't split off from ces it they were similar but they were competing things um and and then e3 was was its own entity and i think ces or the cea like had a competing or wanted to have a competing video game event but regardless CES, I think, is a dumpster fire and, and a, a, a miserable experience for, for most people who have to go there for work. Um, although it is also one of those things like you want to go to once or whatever. And, and as a kid, you think it's going to be the greatest thing in the world. But um, what CES has been smart enough to do, because they've faced similar things. Um, Apple has never been there, but Microsoft is gone. Uh, you know, uh, Intel is gone. Samsung is gone. Um, all the big, you know, tech companies that used to do these massive presentations and spend all this money don't do that anymore. And that was true before the pandemic. And I mean, that, that was true a decade ago is when it started. And so what they did is they started identifying smaller, um, you know, consumer electronics brands and car companies mm-hmm. and other connected devices and making the show around those things. And so E3 didn't see once, you know, the the big uh, boys are like, well, we can do this ourselves. They didn't, in my opinion, start to court the, you know, smaller um, uh, studios or, or, or game developers or even individuals until it was way too late. And by that time, like, yeah, you have PAX East and you have the Game Awards and you have, you know, uh, Summer uh, Summerfest and you have all these other ways that people can get content. Um, and there's no, like, no one's going to want to pay E3 prices necessarily to exhibit or to do those things. And 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 the audience profile again is different. So I I think like the fact that you were never there, Brie, I think is like indicative of the fact that they messed up because if they'd been really following the trends of their own industry, they would have seen that what happened was going to happen and and try to get in front of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Like we have evolved into a world where paying however much a developer would pay to be on the show floor at E three versus simply streaming your game for a couple hours a week on Twitch. Yeah. And yeah. showing it to people. Um or I mean if you look at something like uh Lethal Company blowing up this year, that has entirely become a success in early access based on the fact that people who have you know who have bought it in early access are having a really fun time streaming it and there are just all these alternative ways, which I'm not necessarily saying are better universally but are have a much lower um, barrier to entry than something like E3, even something like PAX. I'm I'm sure like is 
pretty pricey at this point. Oh, sure. Um, and it's still, I think, a great uh, event. Like I, I've loved going to PAX in the past, um, and I'm sure that it is worth it for people who who go and make the best of it. But there are so many more ways um, that developers and publishers are choosing to get to to get publicity now um, that have a much lower barrier to entry, which I th- I do think is great overall. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing, too, is that the one of the big things about trade shows is that it's not just about the publicity, but it's about, like, the meetings and the people you can meet up with while you're there. And I think yes. that, uh, you know, again, I don't think that's something they necessarily, like, played up enough, right, and, and maybe leveraged enough. And there are now other opportunities where um, companies can do that, right? So uh, it what a true story. Uh, I saw the, the Wii U at CES in, <gasps> what year was that, 2012, 2013, whatever wow. year that was. Um, but it was not on the floor. Nintendo, I think, had a very, very, very small presence. And then they rented a hotel room that was not at, in the CES block at all. They were at the Win, And I was in there with with somebody um, very high up at Nintendo at the time who showed me the Wii U. And this was, this was in January, um, you know, eight months before it came out. So even Nintendo, who, granted, their financial position wasn't what it is now, was like, we're not paying CES prices um, we're just going to kind of leverage off of the event and, and have our own meetups. And so, you know, mm-hmm. the the whole like um, the, the non-fan oriented uh, trade show industry, uh, I think, is is really, really struggling. And I'm not at all surprised that that E3 closed, you know, and then, then we're not even getting into all the sexism and other, you know, gross stuff that happened at E3 over the years. But it's just it's what would what you know, ignoramus kind of end to something that for just speaking for myself I don't know about you Simone like this was like my dream as a kid Uh, and when I went I'll be honest it was a lot more boring than I expected it to be um but (laughs) but but it was still one of those things where I was like oh my god I'm at at Disneyland right there's a lot more lines yeah a lot more lines a lot less like more stuff you could do but I was still I was like oh my god you know I'm at I'm at the video game you know convention um good thing we have a bunch of video game conventions and also ways to, to you know Watch, yep. watch people stream and show off their games. Ways to consume content. I feel like y'all are so much more cynical about this than than I. I yeah. am. I mean, I have to look. I've known so many journalist friends of mine over the years, and yeah, you know, they're like, "Oh, gotta go to E three, uh, right? Like it's a big pain." But it's also true that the the future of work in the game industry is it's in some ways it's it's lonelier and lonelier. That's right, true. like we're seeing the the you know the big institutions uh, that've been here for a long time. Like the the forces that are affecting journalism are affecting them as well, right? And you know, PAX East, uh, you know, PAX overall, it is important, but it's not as important as it used to be. And you know, if I I just I feel like obviously E three had problems, but it's also just one less institution that we have and now it's like we all get on our computers and you know just just stare at the news instead of having a place to celebrate this in person so i I don't it's it's not that i don't like i want to like sing a song for e3 because i've never really thought about it but i just i think the trend of these real life places where we gather them just losing more and more importance it just it makes me sad I do. I I agree with that. I I think the democratization of information is important, but also something like the like GDC existing is incredibly important for developers 
Um, and it, journalists attend GDC as well, even though it's, I don't think, as well attended as E3 was for my side of the field. But it, I, I, I do think, you know, we're not necessarily seeing something stepping in to fill that vacuum of meeting other people in real life, especially for game developers who, you know, work in conditions that are often bad uh, and pretty isolated. Like, in, you know, you're working inside, you're working at your computer for long, long, long hours. Um, and there's not necessarily something other than GDC or like the PAX events um, or uh, Gamescom, you know, if you're in Europe to to make those connections in real life. Um, so it would be nice if something cropped up other than E3 to make those bonds. Although, I, I mean, in some ways, again, the some physical events at around Summer Games Fest and the Game Awards, as much as I, you know, I have my, I have mixed feelings about those events. Certainly, um, I did hear anecdotally from people who went, you know, it was a cool social event. People talked, met each other, went out for drinks, looked at demos, uh, had, you know, conversations with other people working in the industry. So that does exist, probably not at the the same magnitude that it existed at E3 in the past. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with that sentiment. Yeah, I mean, I definitely w- hope that there are places that, you know, people can, because you're right, it is, it, it can be isolating and it can be lonely um, to do that work. I don't know if E3 was necessarily the best like way no. to kind of solve that, you know what no. I mean? Because 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 no. because the, the, the reason that journalists hate CES and hate E3, having covered both, is because we don't get to have any fun. You literally are on deadlines, especially in the internet age, where you have to publish a million things a day, try to do videos, try to do interviews, walk all over the most. You know, if you're in CES, the Las Vegas Convention Center, and sometimes many other area casinos, you know, if um, at E3, like all over, you know, kind of downtown LA, like literally like, you know, your, your feet are falling off. And then when you're done, you can't even have a chance to eat. You've then got to go to some sort of dinner with someone else. And it's just like, you don't even get that chance to have those like hallway conversations. And it might be different if you're a, a developer there, not a journalist. I have no idea. But I, I think that I, if anything, I would kind of argue, I think sometimes it's good to have this, um, I guess, more variety of, of different types of event, events, because that might be the thing that could engender more, you know, real life collaboration. And I would even say, like, I think that something like TwitchCon, as much criticism as as people give to it, like, I think that's actually a pretty great way for people to kind of be together and, and meet up and and celebrate things. And so, you know, I I'm I'm sad to see another, I guess, like kind of physical thing end, but I'm not gonna I, I can't like pretend like I'm because it didn't surprise. It didn't yeah. evolve. That was the thing. I think if they tried, right? If they tried at all, then I would be... They tried too late. Yeah. By the time they tried, it was like PAX has been doing this for, you know, f- six years, seven years. Like, yeah. it, w- it, it, it was... The, and I think, too, the reason I think they're schadenfreude with this is that E3 always acted so above every other thing. You know, to the point that, like, when you were able to go and you were able to take a Konami pass, it was different. Um, and and when I went, because it was so early, it was a little bit different. But then, like, for the, you know, uh, during, like, the the early 2000s, you know, to, like, the, the late aughts, like, they really were, like, gatekeepers in a kind of a messed up way. And I mm-hmm. think that a lot of people, mm-hmm. in addition to how much money they charged, they were gatekeepers for who um, would be able to uh, exhibit there. They were gatekeepers for who could cover, like, for a lot of reasons. And so I think a lot of people are like screw you, you know, like you didn't evolve. Um, you didn't have a backup plan when your, your biggest, um, uh, you know, um, exhibitors, uh, backed out and, and you finally offered the plebes access 
like years after somebody actually made like a a, a fan first, you know, gamer convention. So why why do we need you, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Any final thoughts on this before we move on to what we're doing this week? Uh, let's talk. Hey, Christina, what are you up to this week? So I am finishing up some stuff for the end of the year. Um, and I've got some some other meetings and some things I'm doing, but I'm just basically trying to like wind everything down until uh, until the end of the year, which uh, which is great for me. Um, so GitHub, we have the unlimited vacation scam, um, like most companies uh, these days do, or more and more companies do. So I don't have to do the dance where I have to like figure out how many days of vacation I have to take. <laughs> like that, that's no longer a thing. But I am, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna work through like the middle of uh, next week, uh, and then I'll be off um, for the end of the year. So I'm just now trying to. I'm, I'm trying to do my expense reports, basically. I'm trying to kind of, you know, finish nice. up a bunch Fill the of time. stuff. Yeah. Brianna, I know you've got a ton of stuff going on. What are you up to this week? I wish I, I'm honestly not even sure I'll be able to take Christmas off. That's how crazy no. it is. Um, no, it's like we got to scale up crazy quickly. And um, it's it's just a lot of stuff. Um, what am I doing this week? I am leading a bunch of teams and trying to bring a bunch of projects across the finish line. So there it is. <laughs> I hope that they get there. Uh, congrats on leading the teams. Um, and I hope everyone listens to you. What am I doing this week? Oh, gosh, this is my last full week in New York before I go home for Christmas. Um, basically, I'm kind of doing the same thing Christina's doing. I'm doing paperwork. I'm sending emails wow. <laughs> in, in a bid to fill the hours. Um, and we'll be streaming on Twitch, as usual, tomorrow at Polygon. Uh, Lethal Company again, but with mods this time. All right. That has been our show. Uh, if you are a Rocket Booster subscriber, you are about to hear a bonus segment about a scandal in the publishing industry. Um, one of many, but this one is pretty juicy. Um, if you would like to look into how you can become a Rocket Booster subscriber for three more weeks, you can go to relay.fm slash membership and learn how you can support our show and, importantly, other shows on the Relay Network. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. If you care to review our show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you know what? I'm not going to stop telling you to do it. It's part of my DNA now, and I still want you to do it because I think that we should ha continue to have a good rating. Uh, yes. It's important to me. Let's go out on a high note is what please. I always say. Please. Uh, so please do review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Five stars only or else I will come to your house and don't take that as an incentive or an invitation. I'll only come by to uh, lick your ring doorbell like that one delivery person and then run away. It'll be really gross and weird. And again, don't take that as an incentive. It's not cool of me to do that. It's actually really wrong. Anyway, this episode of Rocket... <laughs> It's terminated. 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 <laughs>